Yeah, welcome to the Far Post Perth podcast. Blank Treadgold. Next to me is a man who knows a fair bit about local football, but we're going to test his knowledge all across the A-League. This is the first edition of the Far Post Perth Weekly Wrap. We are going to look at what happened with Perth Glory, what's happening all across the A-League and everything else that's affecting football here in Western Australia. Tommy, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Blaine. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time, uh, not caller, participant, I suppose. Yeah, mate, pleasure to have you on. Uh, big weekends, Perth Glory. First of all, what did you make of the performance? Uh, I mean, I suppose we'll touch on the off-pitch off, off first. It was a great mm. night, wasn't it, in Absolutely. general? Um, the crowd was great. The atmosphere was great. That moment with Sturridge coming on, the noise, you could feel the electricity back in HBF Park. And I suppose that's what we've been longing for for quite some time haven't we, considering mm. the way that last season was with the biddy crowds and, and the scheduling made it a little bit dif- difficult to get that momentum going throughout the season. I think all the all the markers were really good off the pitch and, and with Sturridge interacting with the fans afterwards, that was also um, a pretty special thing to sort of witness as, as we hung around a little bit after the game. Um, in terms of the performance, um, I think the best way to put it would be it was pretty um, – safe to say that it was easy to tell they only had two preseason mm. games. It did take them a fair while to warm into the occasion a little bit. But I thought once they got going, they managed to get a little bit of momentum through the game after Adelaide really sort of came out of the blocks. And then um, whilst the whilst the performance was far from complete and there's a lot of work to do, that they, they, they can still take a few positives and obviously they still got the point at the end of the day. I was just going to say when you're talking about that live game, I can't remember the last game that I watched live at HBF prior to that one. No, neither. I, I, I think I went to one game last season, um, but I couldn't even tell you that that's how long it seems mm. like it was. And that's partially down to the, the longer off season as well, I suppose, that we do always have with the A-League. But um, no, it was great to get back in, in into HBF Park and, and to have that atmosphere. And hopefully um, it leaves fans longing for more and, and we get a good crowd in, in in two months whenever our next home game is. What did you make of Adelaide? I thought they caught us on the hop a little bit, especially early on. Yeah, and they've had a few more preseason games. Obviously, we saw them up close and personal against Florida Athena in the FFA Cup. Um, we were comment- we were fairly complimentary on the, some of their young, dynamic attacking players and 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 how exciting they were. The likes of Bernardo, uh, Cavallo was good in that game, Dorigo as well, and those likes as well. I think they got the hop on glory quite early on. I, I thought that I thought that Morkis Ies and Dorigo, that midfield three, got mm. on top of O'Neill and uh, Bodner quite early on. And it wasn't until Fornaroli was able to drop back and offer that more support where the glory were able to sort of wrestle their way back into the game because previously that midfield three of Adelaide were just feeding the balls wide to Cavallo and Kiddo. And what they were doing was they were having that two-on-one against the Glory's wing-back, which was kind of what they were trying to do, I think, in that sort of 3-4-3 formation. So Adelaide had a lot of joy early. Uh, they got the goal and then the glory managed to wrestle their way back into the game pretty well, I thought. Yeah, no, I thought especially that that goal uh, from Bruno certainly sparked up the crowd and they started to get a bit of momentum on that. Um, just going back on one of your points, it was always going to be that question that was going to be asked was who's going to play that Castro role to kind of drop and pick up that ball coming through the mid. And I thought we struggled to do that. There was kind of, you go, no, I go, no, all right, no, we'll both go. And there was a bit of that going on. And there was just, uh, I, I mean, the lack of communication was clearly there. And I think that comes down to your first point. It was, they looked like a team 
that hadn't played a match, um, essentially. So it was interesting. Standout, I thought, Burt Gilroy, I thought he was great. Yeah, I loved his energy. Mm. I, whenever I'm sort of looking at, at players who I who I really enjoy the performances, I, I kind of look at influence in crucial periods of the game. And I thought when Glory was sort of flagging a little bit and, and they were needing somebody to drive them forward and get them back onto the front foot, I thought that Burt Gilroy was a player who carried the ball and he sort of tried to drive at Adelaide a little bit. And that was something that I thought was, was really effective, um, particularly down that right side. And he got a lot of joy in that second half as well. There was a couple of moments where he cut in from the Right hand side, the finish wasn't quite there, but the intent was there, and that would that that would be something that um, if you're looking for positives as a glory supporter, that you can really sort of take forward going into future weeks. I think. Oh yeah, I thought it was great, and I've got to admit we didn't really know too much about him no. coming into this. And another guy we didn't know too much about. And I think we'll learn more as time goes. Is uh, Adrian Sardinero? We did see yeah. him late. Um, I had a chat on my radio program to Luke Bodner, and he said that uh, look at it a little bit like uh, Economides. He's expecting Sardinero to be a little bit like that. So if he's anything as what uh, Economides showed for us, then I think he might be pretty exciting a little bit further down the line. Sturridge, when he came on, um, was he – I mean, plenty of people said, oh, you know, bring him on a little bit earlier. I mean, you're Richard Garcia. What what do you do? I think with the games coming up on the road as, as you are, I think you, you have to take the cautious side with Sturridge. And the, the simple reasons for that are obviously that he's not played a lot of games. And he also has an injury history as well. So we, we can't be – we can't be sort of so naive to think that he's just going to come on with 15 minutes to go and, and absolutely tear up the game. Mm. This is something that's going to take a little bit of time. And also with the fact that the glory have got a, you spoke about Sardinero who was signed, but there's also Fornaroli. There's also Keo. There's, there's, there's plenty of players. We saw Bert Gilroy playing essentially on the right wing as the game wore on at the weekend. You know, there's, there's, Plenty of options that the glory are going to have in those forward areas this season. It is going to take a little bit of time to integrate storage into that system. And I think there's definitely, um, I don't think there's any rush from, from Garcia's point of view. Well, I, if, if, if I was Garcia, I wouldn't be rushing. I'd be taking the longer term view with, with storage in that sense. And I, I would probably expect him to probably come off the bench for maybe the next even two, maybe even three games as he sort of builds into life in Australia. Mm. It is going to be – how do you see – I mean, there's four out-and-out kind of real attacking players. And when you start to look at Keo, Fauna, Rowley, Sturridge and Sardinero, how how do they all fit? And I guess how do they start to fit those four into, I guess, the greater – Formation, like we saw a three-four-three on the weekend, which is really, really odd. And then a few people bringing up having um, Kusuke Ota as a one of the centre backs. It was really, really odd. So obviously, when you're playing so attacking, you've you've got to be able to pull someone from somewhere, and obviously square pegs round holes and the like. Correct. And occasionally, when you're still learning your system, you've got to. Some players will have to sacrifice in the early part because you are ultimately trying to find the best system for the team. Um, I think something that might work for the glory is maybe the the inside forwards. I, I think if they play, I mean, if you, if you're going to play with wing backs and you're looking to play a narrow, a more narrow, almost not so much a three four three, but maybe a three four two one, where you can have the two drop in a little bit more, perhaps support that midfield central two. Um, 
create that sort of outnumber in those areas when you need to, but also have the opportunity for those two guys to get up and support the lone striker, whether it be Keo at the moment or whether it be Sturridge eventually. And and we've seen Sturridge in the past. I, I don't know what his capacity is in terms of his his running or anything like that, but obviously we've seen quite some time ago in the Premier League, obviously, but he's more than capable of coming in from that that right-hand side as an inside forward with that left foot and, mm. and causing a lot of problems. Um Another one, oh, we did just touch on it, but um, Diego Castro, it was uh, talked about that he was offered even a uh, bit of a lap of honour so the fans could say thank you. It came to a bit of a abrupt end uh, on both sides um, last year. Um, interesting that he's kind of said, uh, look, thanks, but no thanks in that scenario. does It, it kind of makes me feel that, I mean, I've heard a little rumours that he could be off to another A-League club, but it kind of makes me feel that uh, his heart just isn't uh, isn't in it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. How do, how do you see that situation? Uh, it's, it's an interesting one because only Diego Castro knows the answer mm. to that question, Blaine. So it would be, un- be unfair on us to question any motives as to why he may have reportedly turned down the opportunity to to, to have a have a farewell or any or anything like that look uh, whatever happens um in the future i think um D- diego castro's contribution to the club obviously cannot be underestimated he'll go down for me as one of the top easily in the top five uh, foreigners that the, that the competition's ever had in its history, possibly even the top three, when mm. maybe if you're looking at um, Broish or, or, dare I say it, Barisha. I know that probably won't go down well with you, Blaine, but <laughs> but but when you sort of speak about the impact that, that, that players have had, um, that players have had over a long period of time, I know we've had the Del Pieros and the mm. likes who've come in shorter term and David Villas, but when you talk about the longer term guys like your Barishas, your Broishas, your Castros are right up there, and if, if if not in the top three, they're right up at the very top of that list. I'm just offered often a bit of a tangent, but that's all, all good. Um, I think Broish and Inkovic, uh number one and number two, and they're only ahead of Castro, I think, because of the amount of influence that they had in championship-winning sides and um, and pulling home some silverware. So, But uh, I think individually you could definitely have all three of those in the same conversation without a doubt. Um, You did mention the crowds. Um, One thing that needs to be mentioned was the um, couple of the bars running out of beer. Oh, you're probably best off, best first to tell me that one, Blaine. As you were, as you were, uh, you would have been watching from the view of the shed and, and may have. No, uh, I was actually. Uh, I had, I didn't actually. I didn't even go into the shed on the weekend. I just I wandered around and just took in a fair few sights and had a couple of uh, couple of bevies with a few people here and a couple of bevies with a few people there and probably a couple too many in the end. But that's okay. That's uh, it was the first game in a very very long time and uh, everything else like that. But um, yeah, interesting enough that. Uh, I don't know whether the, they just weren't expecting a crowd of 17,000 or, or what the story was, but, uh, yeah, yeah, unhappy campers at the football on uh, on Saturday night. No, and, and I mean, it was, a, it was a great crowd. I mean, I suppose they're small world problems, aren't they? And, and at the end of the day, if, if, uh, if, if we're going to get projections of crowds like that in the future, I'm sure that the ground would uh, put a couple of extra staff on just for you, Blaine, if you're uh, getting a little bit frustrated. Uh, the staff were fine, queue. and I actually felt sorry for the staff <laughs> because there was a few, uh, there was people there quite unhappy. So they were, the staff unfortunately were copping it a bit, and uh, they didn't really deserve that because, I mean, they don't do the beer ordering. So uh, you can pretty much guarantee that. Um, I was just going to add yeah. as well. I thought that I thought that Daryl Lackman had a really good game yeah, as well. Sure. Um, I, I thought that particularly in that first twenty minutes or so, when the glory were under the cosh, I thought that he was really good at the back. I thought he read the play really well, and and you spoke a little bit about 
um, Osa and 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 that sort of mm. how he was almost playing as a, as a centre back for mm. periods. I thought that the positioning of Lackman was crucial um, to kind of almost diffusing a few situations where the glory maybe got away with um, a couple of things in those early stages when Adelaide were really on the front foot and really sharp. And also a shout out to Daniel Steins as well, who I thought was brilliant when yep. he came off the bench, and and he was a big reason I thought why the glory were able to get some of that momentum in that second half, were able to start to win that midfield battle a little bit more. He just hassled and harangued SIS mm. and these guys who had a lot of the ball in the first half. So I, I think if you're looking at, at positives, um, I know we spoke about uh, Bert Gilroy before or ABG as uh, the nicknames <laughs> sort of tending to go. Uh, I think I think ticks, big ticks have to go to Lackman and, and also to Steins. And obviously, I mean, we, we speak. We've not even touched on that goal yet, Blaine. I, what, I know. T- I tell, know. tell me what you what your thoughts were when Fornaroli picked the ball up on the halfway line. Oh, I wasn't expecting him to. I was expecting it to lay it off out to the left. But uh, I'm just going to say, how good was that call from Kenny Lowe? Yeah, I oh, he's he was stunning on commentary. I thought he was great. Yeah, obviously I, I didn't catch that until I got home that night. But yeah, I, I did manage to catch a couple of the highlights just to watch a bit of the action back. And and yeah, Kenny Lowe's a uh, a great addition to the uh, to the to the Paramount Plus team this yep. season. He's going to be uh, he's going to be box office to to listen to this season. He's a great character, as we all know. So that's going to be really enjoyable. I tell you what, we do praise that goal though, but we would have been absolutely ripping our hair out. If he had have blasted that wide, considering the position that Keo was in, that that is true. But we could I suppose we could say that about a lot of the that's great true. goals in, in, in football history. Playing, there probably was a pass <laughs> to the left or a pass on the right. And look, if you put it in the back of the net, you're the one that's made the right decision at the end of the day, aren't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think uh, a win was probably the only thing that's going to, um, you know, um, would have um, been better than what we saw on the weekend in terms of the crowd. So I think a win would have um, certainly brought a good a good percentage of that crowd back next time. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, just to follow that a little bit short. But, hey, it is a learning process. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and let's hopefully everyone comes out for the next one, which is in a very, very long time, but we'll have plenty of chats uh, before that stage. Let's go back all the way to Friday nights, Tommy. Uh, Melbourne City, uh, most people's favourites to take out probably the premiership slash championship slash both, um, if they can. Um, I thought Brisbane kind of took it up to them for, for good stages of the match, though. It wasn't – they didn't do it easily. Yeah, I've, I actually made a couple of notes. I, I didn't manage to tune into this one um, on, on Friday night, and I, and I must admit I thought that if the game would have gone on an extra five or ten minutes that Brisbane would have been every chance of, of jagging an equaliser in that game. They really got some um, – they really got the wind behind their sails. I think. I thought. I thought Melbourne City, whilst they were threatened by Brisbane in periods during the game, as you touched on, I thought that Melbourne City kind of they just did what champions did almost. They mm. they just had that spell in the game for whatever it was, two or three minutes, where they took the game away from Brisbane. But Warren Moon's team, um, it would have been really easy for them to sort of fall apart at two 0 down, or to sort of sack it in and say, "Oh well, we're away at the champions early on. Um, we've got other games that are." Winnable coming up, but no, they stuck to their task. They pulled the goal back. They they were very close to getting an, an equaliser if it weren't for a, a VAR decision, and um, and obviously they finished the the finish the game the stronger as well. So um, look, I think there's a lot of positives for um, for Brisbane. Um, we've spoken about City already, and I think many have them down as the favourites for the championship going forward. So I don't think um, we need to stick on them for too long. But I think many. 
may have had Brisbane outside of their top six in terms of their preseason predictions. And um, I, I don't know, they, they seem like a work in progress, but I think in that middle part of the table, it's going to be pretty tight this season. And, mm. and I think there was enough at the back end of that game to, to really give their fans some optimism. I mean, it's um, it's going to be a tough game for them next week. Um, they're away at Victory, who, who obviously took that great support down to, to Geelong at the weekend. So you'd expect they're going to pack Amy Park on um, on Saturday night for that one. Um, but yeah, Brisbane and Adelaide, sorry, uh, Adelaide United and Western United, the two games after that for the Raw, I think we'll learn a little bit more about them in those two games possibly. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, you didn't see this, but uh, you didn't see the game you said, but uh, did you happen to see that ball from Scott Jamison for that second goal, I think it was? That was absolutely like mm. one of the best balls that I've seen in the A-League for a long, long time. Yeah, he's well. He's always had quality, hasn't he? On mm. the on the on on his left foot, Jamison. We've we've obviously seen seen that over many years yeah. in, in the competition's history. So yeah, no, he's a he's a standout player, and and he's been a he's actually been a really good leader um, for that city team as well, and a big part of why they they obviously went on to do as well as they did last year. Yep, no, plenty of firepower in that uh, in that city side. Oh. Jeez, they just they've just added to what they had last season. So I think that's why everyone's just gone, nah, there's no way anyone's gonna be able to catch this. I think the only side that could maybe on paper is victory, but of course they've got such a work to do in trying to turn that around where they've been previous seasons, new coach and everything like that. So um yeah, we'll have to see where City is uh going forwards. Uh let's have a look at Western United's and Melbourne Victory. Uh bit of a derby. Can we call this a derby or what are we doing? With this one, um, Battle of the Bridge—they're calling it—but I don't, I don't like that. It's a that. Victorian derby, I suppose, isn't it? Well, it is, but I mean, Western United doesn't even have a home, so they're not Western Melbourne. They're Eastern Geelong. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're calling the shots, Blake. <laughs> I can't work it out. I, I, I didn't think Western United were too bad, though. I thought they were. Um, it was just. I mean, Miranda just took opportunity, didn't he, and just just yeah. put that away. I thought Priyavich was okay, showed a little bit at times. I thought Connor Payne got in got in behind a couple of times. Even Risden was uh, was busy in areas too. So, um, what was interesting though, I'm not sure if you saw this one, but Wenzel Halls, Dylan Wenzel Halls, has obviously come across from Brisbane to Western United, and Diamante was giving him an absolute bollocking at halftime. Mm. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. also um, our good mate Neil Kilkenny, who likes a good chat at halftime and likes getting stuck in. He was also getting in there. So it was just really, really strange to see the different dynamics. Yeah, it is. And 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 obviously um, we, we've seen Neil at, at Perth the last couple of seasons. He's obviously a very strong leader. Mm. Um, look, I, I suppose... I suppose it ultimately depends on whether John Aloisi is happy with that as as Western United head coach. If he's happy for his leaders to to go out there and and be really firm and and really strong on the pitch and and not necessarily bang a couple of heads together, but make sure that they're the ones on the pitch that are able to help get that message across. Then then that's then that's something that. Um, if he's happy with that and and that sort of way of of dealing with things as senior players, and then you can't really really argue with that. But um, you're right; it does look a little bit strange on the pitch as and when you're watching it. Um, I think with Western United, I mean, I had them as a little bit of a smoky sort of for, for, for to maybe even infiltrate that sort of top three that mm. everybody thought of the the of City victory and and Sydney, which seemed to be the consensus top three for everybody. But I just thought with Wenzel Halls, with Payne, um, 
with uh, Wales, uh, Lockie Wales, Diamante. Um, you spoke about Priovic as well. Kilkenny's come into that team. I just thought the pieces that they've got, uh, uh, if they can get it together, and especially with John Aloisi, who I think a lot of people remember Aloisi for his final season at Brisbane where it kind of didn't sort of pan out too mm. well, but I think he guided the Raw to two top four finishes in his first two seasons um, with the club. So I think he did a pretty good job before that. And, and I just thought that you sort of put all of that ingredients together. Okay, we're talking on the pitch because off the pitch, again, as you mentioned, it's it's not ideal, but we'll leave that for now. Um, but, but in a way, you could even sort of challenge that outside noise into a little bit of a siege mentality. So, look, I'm still hopeful that Western United can do a lot of damage this season. I think they've got plenty of talent. It's just a base. The, the basis is going to really be um, how long is it going to take for them to, to make it all click and, and, and to put it all together. Um We'll probably touch on it a little bit later because the Glory are playing mm. Western United on Friday this week. Yep. And with our purple tinted specs on here on the pod, it's obviously a big game for the Glory. But this is going to be a big game for Western United as well because they've got City the following week. And if they start the season zero and three, the noises are gonna the noises are gonna start to rise, I think. Um, particularly with the off field stuff that's been going on and the murmurings in the background there as well. So um yeah, I, I think that's um, I think that's something to definitely keep an eye on. It's going to be a fascinating game on Friday. One thing I can't get on how much of a steal Dylan Wenzel Halls was for them. Mm. I, I, I'm not sure what Brisbane was thinking. He's a top player. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I think he's I think he's going to add a lot of dynamism to that um, to that to that forward line. He's when, um, and when you've got guys like Diamante pulling the strings and you've got the pace of, mm. of the likes of um, Payne and Wales sort of running alongside, yeah. there's gonna, that's, that, that's got all the ingredients to be something really dangerous. And I think Wenzel Halls can really fit in and mesh well with those guys. Uh, mate, I'd have, him, uh, I'd have Dylan Wenzel Halls at Perth tomorrow. Let me give you the hot tip. He, I thought he uh, yeah, shows plenty of talent. Get him in amongst that, uh, you know, with good players around him. I think he's going to absolutely flourish. And we saw him a uh, bit of twinkle toes and uh, – you know, um, moves like that in, in this match. So it's, uh, it was, yeah, interesting to see Brisbane let him go. Let's have a look at the Sydney derby. This was missing everything but a goal. I mean, I, I, this was probably, weirdly enough, this was probably the game I saw the least of at the weekend, given that the glory were, uh, were, were, were sort of, um, uh, coming up as well. And I know that the, the United Western United and, and victory game was, was on at the same time. Um, from the bits that I saw, it looked pretty cagey in the first half, but that's probably to be expected. First game of the season, a derby. Most derbies are sort of cagey in those early stages, but you're right. And in, even though it was cagey, it was still all action. And I think the crowd added a lot to it as it always does with mm. the, with the Sydney derby as well. It really makes it an occasion. And look, I think Sydney, for me, probably shaded it. They've just, in my opinion, um, obviously they were without Bratton, without Barbarousas, and another player who doesn't spring to mind who's a relative regular. It may- Caceres? Are you thinking Adrian Caceres? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but... I mean, I, I thought I think a little bit like City, we, we sort of know what to expect with mm. with Sydney. They've they've got a very um, they've they've got a fairly settled side, and and we know that they're probably going to be up there in the business end of the season. But the Wanderers' angle is really interesting for me, and, and and I'd be interested to hear hear your thoughts on 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 what you're expecting for the Wanderers this season after after pretty challenging sort of 2020, 2021. 
they're, I, mean, I thought they've built fantastic, but there's always questions over Carl Robinson. There's questions within the hardcore Western Sydney Wanderers fans over what Carl Robinson can actually do with, with, with you know, I mean, he's got the soldiers, but whether he can get it all together, I'm not sure. Yeah. And, it, I mean, I, I thought they gave a pretty good account of themselves. Um, they, ha- they obviously had opportunities to win. I think Hamed was a great signing for them. I think if they yeah. can get the service right for him, um, he, he's going to be a good acquisition for them. Rodwell showed little glimpses as well. Mm. He obviously had that effort which forced that, that good save as well. Um, from Red Redmayne, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so yeah, they, I think they've shown little glimpses, and um, it'll just be interesting to see whether they can put it together and and how quickly they can put it together as well. Which is probably the more pertinent question, given the the noises that we've heard in the preseason in terms of the pressures that are on Robinson, as you alluded to earlier. I was going to say Sam Burgess, but it's not. It's Max Burgess that plays for Sydney FC. Is that the one you're thinking yes, about? Yes. Yeah. Um, great inclusion for Sydney FC. I yeah. thought. Uh, I think he's going to be uh, a great addition um, in, into that side and just adds. They're always there or thereabouts. Sydney FC. Mm. Yeah. They're just. Yeah. They, they, for me, like it's it's one of those things. Like we we sort of know what to expect from them. They they put in a pretty standard Sydney FC performance. Mm. I thought there's a lot of. Obviously, we're still early in the season and. Um, it's one game in, so it's not a time for sweeping uh, overreactions or statements or, or hot takes that are steaming or anything like that. But um, what, what I would say is, is well, we'll touch on some of the other results later, but three draws and three single goal margin wins. I think that's going to be a sign of things to come from the next month or so. And, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to take some time to find their feet. So there'll be tight cagey games, but this is also kind of a season of opportunity because- you can sort of see that if you're a team like Sydney FC or you're a team like Melbourne City who have the the majority of that continuity that's continuing on from from last season and, and previous seasons, that if you can get the results early and you can bank the points while teams are still trying to sort their mm. their their systems out and sort their best lineups out and things like that, we've spoken about Adelaide and Perth and Brisbane and Western United who are still trying to sort things out. Yep. If these teams like Sydney FC and and Melbourne City can bank some points quickly, they could be out and 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 gone by the time um, the yeah. chasing packs start to get motoring. Yeah, no, that's my concern for Perth. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more. What we might do now is we're just going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back on the other side of this. If you're as passionate about the A-League as we are, you won't want to miss a second of this season's action. And the easiest, quickest and best way to catch every game from every angle is with the A-League Live app. Simply search A-League Live or Sportsmate in the Apple or Google Play stores. Yeah, welcome back to the Weekly Wrap, presented by the Far Post Perth Podcast. Blaine Treadgold and Tommy Dolman in here for the second half. Now, Tommy, let's have a look at Newcastle Central Coast. This was a beauty. I really enjoyed this, considering I was uh, not feeling the greatest after Saturday night at the Glory, and I came... uh, had a bit of a uh, bit of a lie-in, and I turned up for this uh, on the couch, and I'm glad I did because it was an absolute belter. 
Yeah, and the second half in particular, I thought it was really fun. And I don't know whether that was a little bit of that weather that was that was setting in that made it fun. But look, I think many would have had the Jets and the Mariners down there in, in the bottom two or the bottom three in their in their As always, we always do, unfortunately. We do, yeah. yeah. And but but the Mariners have clearly carried over a, a bit of that feel good vibe from twenty twenty one and I did sort of have a think about it today when we were sort of just sort of prepping for the podcast, and I, I thought, you know, like Birigetti, um, Rolls and Tongyik as that axis in defence, Bazanish ahead of them. Um, it's clearly something that gives them that little bit of stability, and 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 with the two scorers coming from the academy, that's clearly encouraging as well. And if anybody's going to know what's coming up through the Central Coast Academy, it's Nick Montgomery, mm. who's obviously been there for quite some time. So, look, it'll be interesting to see how N- N- Kololo and Maresh grow with more time in the league, as as we've sort of spoken about with a few of the foreigners already, the likes of Sardinero um, and, and Priovic, who we've touched on, on already. But I think they did reasonably well to keep Urena as well, and and it'll just be interesting to see whether they can frank that form in the weeks to come with a win against, um, let's say, a, a team that's probably more likely to be pushing to the upper reaches of the table than the Jets. Yeah, I I just thought this was a cracking game. Like there was a bit of passion, there was a bit of fisty cast. The fans were getting absolutely stuck into each other, and I thought it was just really great to see a decent turnout from Central Coast. They don't always show up those two, and considering their proximity of each other, there's really no excuse not to head literally a half an hour, if that, up the highway and 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 go to these matches if you are an opposite as an opposition fan and uh I thought the I thought Central Coast was brilliant I thought young Farrell I thought he was brilliant on debut just got stuck in that's what you want to see uh by the young fellas you just want to get them stuck in even if they don't get it right you just want to see him have a crack and great to see Nisbet get his goals absolutely well. yeah no I thought I thought both of them was were uh, great and Valentino Yule as well for for Newcastle for that matter still very very young and um geez uh, <laughs> He's another young player that, if you could harness that talent, it's it's very unorthodox. But if you can harness that talent, I think he's a player that could go pretty far. Oh, absolutely! And there's and there's there's plenty of those players in 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 the local competition, Blaine, and that and that's the beauty of the of, of the A League men's competition that there are so many good young players um, who are trying to make their mark on the league and who have got the talent and the ability to to sort of push themselves and, and possibly take that next step with that little bit of extra guidance. Um, and if you can sort of balance out those those raw qualities with that sort of match day experience and obviously get a little bit of confidence from scoring, mm. then then that's all you can really ask. For. Um, the, the Jets were really interesting, I thought, because their front four was essentially four completely new players. Uh, I was wondering from your position on the couch, Blaine, what your thoughts were on the Jets, given obviously the, the off-season um, conversations that we've heard about them in recent seasons. Remind me who was up front. Uh, so they had uh, Mikkel Tadsi, they had Pena, they had Sir Travanis, and they had Bumal. I thought Pena was – he was busy at times, wasn't he? But there was balls just getting put through that no one was, could get on the end of. They weren't quite on the same wavelength. He hit the, did he hit the bar late on as well, Pena? I think he did, yeah. yeah I know that both sides were denied by, by, by the post late, um, which would have added another – Delirious aspect to this game, um, which was good. Um, where was Matt Simon? Any ideas? Is he injured or? I'm not sure. 
I'm going to have to check that up yeah. because Derby's are much more fun with a Matt Simon in there for whatever <laughs> um, reason. Absolutely. The cult figures always make these these events a little bit more special, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's enough energy going on in that rivalry without uh, – and if you if you throw Matt Simon in there, it adds it adds even more. Um, I'm really fascinated by the Jets um, because of the Pappas factor in, in oh, sense, obviously yeah. the Arthur Pappas factor. Yep. He's – I've not seen a lot of him as a coach. Obviously, obviously, most of his work that he's done has been um, has been abroad, I suppose, and as assistant. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be really fascinating. But there's no doubts he's he's got all the qualities, having learned under under the likes of Postacoglu. So we'll see what happens with him. Um, but geez, I mean. I, I, when I was looking ahead to next week, with the Wanderers and the Jets, that is going to be a, a pretty high-stakes game early in the season, I think, and one that both teams will think that they can win. Um, and while we're on the Jets also, I think just a shout-out also to Riley Warland, who came off the bench as well. Uh, I didn't not- even recognise him. No. and Haircut. <laughs> he's had a shave. Yeah, he's, he's very clean cut. Yeah, yep. but um, yeah, we, we as obviously a Perth podcast, we'd love to see the local lads playing minutes. And um, I've seen a lot of him, in particular MPL level with the with ECU and with the Glory since he returned from Fulham. Um, he's a super talented player, mm. and and I really hope that he does get the chance to shine with some regular minutes at the Jets. And um, I couldn't believe that he's only nineteen still, which seems Didn't remarkable. Didn't you go to Fulham at like sixteen? Yeah. Quite, I think it was 2017 or 2018, mm. but but yeah, that was. I just I just thought he'd probably been his his low twenties and not 19. It's yeah, quite remarkable. He's got plenty of time in his career and he's super talented. And I, yeah. yeah, it's a bit unfortunate it didn't work out at Perth because I, I mean um, he was given the opportunity here and there, probably not enough, um, but. I thought every time he came on, I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was looked solid. He looks comfortable at the back mm. there. He can play well on the ball for a for a tall, skinny kid, you know. Um, and he, yeah, he's. I, I thought he's not too bad at all. So it's uh, a little bit unfortunate it didn't quite work out, uh, particularly because he is a homegrown boy and there, there's so much homegrown talent coming through Perth. But uh, good to see him find himself a uh, find himself a home over there in Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. And and th- there was a lot of um, we, we've obviously seen. The, the Perth production line has, has, has churned out a lot of quality players over the years and a couple of them have returned to the glory this season, obviously, and O'Neill and Clisby. So hopefully uh, Warland's the next of those players who can go over and maximise his opportunity and then come back and um, come come back maybe hopefully one day to Perth and we'll see him back in the purple again. Mm. Let's have a look at the last game of the round, Tommy, because um, this shouldn't have been played like that. Uh, it was nowhere near having to be played there uh, and so late in the round, I guess, all of a sudden we get a media release coming through the day before saying, hold on a second, this game won't be played at uh, Campbelltown Stadium. It's actually going to be moved to Newcastle. So I'm not sure if this is a terrible indictment on the MacArthur Bulls or the league, but how did someone not know prior to – 48 to 28 or 24 hours out of the match that this wasn't up to standard. I, I can't get my head around it. Did, that This hasn't been flagged I, I prior. Don't, yeah, and I, I don't know what's whether there's been any other events or, or anything that have happened at Campbelltown in, in, in recent weeks prior to this season mm. opener, but... Yeah, it, it's pretty unacceptable, isn't it, really? I mean, that the surface was unplayable. Um, 
there's been so much time since the end of, end of the NRL season. And again, apologies um, if there has been an event on in between the end of the NRL season and the start of the A-League season that I'm not aware of. But... Yeah, there's been time to prepare for the game. And and, and I think the, the, the people I feel sorry for the most, the Bulls fans in all of this, because um, you obviously gear yourself up for the first game of the season. There's a lot of hype around the league at the moment. There's some really good promotion that's going on with Paramount and on Channel 10. And you're seeing all the games that are happening over the course of the weekend. You're seeing the Sydney Derby. You're seeing the, the Full House in Perth. You're seeing a good game on Friday night, Melbourne City and Brisbane Roar, a, a sort of appetising season opener, and then mm. it comes onto your game and it's and it's been moved. And, yeah, the, the disappointment um, must have been really felt by their their fans and, and their members, and it's just not really a, a good look. And, look, they've got a couple of weeks to rectify this now. I think they're away at Sydney next week and then they're at home to the Mariners the week after, and you, you hope for their sake and for their fans' sake that they can get that pitch sorted out for two weeks' time. Otherwise, it's going to be um, a bit of a cloud that hangs over them. And I think it's just uh, like... You just want to go into the season and hit the ground running. You don't want any unnecessary distractions hanging over you. And and this is going to be something that people are going to be talking about in the weeks to come if they can't rectify it quickly. And and you don't want them just hopping around home ground to home ground. Well, this is, I mean, and this is what gets everyone so annoyed is because these clubs come in. And sorry, Tommy, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here. These clubs come in like MacArthur, like Western United. They promise the world and they simply don't deliver. Meanwhile, Still talk about trying to get Wollongong a license. Still trying to get talk about trying to get Canberra United a license. And I mean, these guys are in the league and they're not even stepping up. Um, bit of talk that the Campbelltown City Councils has a bit to blame for this. But how isn't this? I I, I still don't understand how this is not flagged. At least a week, two weeks, three weeks out. It, I know the way grass grows. It's not quick, Tommy. I mean the yeah. I mean if you if you've been um, a little bit pernickety, I suppose it'd be probably understandable to question why somebody hadn't been to Campbelltown a week before kickoff to make sure things were going um, swimmingly. But look, we don't know whether that whether that's happened or whether that did happen. Whether something else was on, it, it's. It's obviously something that the club, the, the club, they're going to have to address, not necessarily to us and, and to the league, but to their fans more than anything. Because, because as I said, the disappointment would have um, would have probably hit them more than anything. Um, in terms of the game itself um, at Newcastle, at, at the um, sorry in Newcastle, mm. <laughs> sorry, I'm getting no. getting my venue spoiled up now, but I know. probably not surprising. Um, Super difficult game. Yeah, it's conditions to play football. And I think it's really hard to take too much out of that game in terms of what we're going to expect from those teams going forward. Um, I think it was a great point for Wellington. I think they can be very pleased with with getting a point on the board early in the season, particularly as many probably expected them to, to finish bottom this season with their losses that they did have. Um, MacArthur absolutely pummeled them at the start of the second half. They, they basically... Um, we're just rattling in set piece after set piece, and then Lockie Rose eventually sort of knocked the door down with that with that volley. Really nicely taken goal, actually, just kept the ball low and it, it squirmed its way through a, a few bodies. And the Bulls probably definitely had the chances, but I mean, given the circumstances, both teams probably will take a point and move on. What I wanted to ask you, though, Blaine, mm. I don't know if you you watched the game after the F three derby. I I kind of was in and out by that stage. Yeah, but but I was fascinated to see. Their formation, because 
you essentially had a three four three um or or a three four two one and they were mm. almost playing with with Danny De Silva and with and with Devere as, as two number tens and that meant that Craig Noon was playing as a essentially a wing back, which I found very strange given we've seen how good he's been at for City on the flanks, so I was just interested in your point of view on that. If you'd if you'd seen the game, but Craig knew is a really interesting one because it was 2011 when I was travelling the UK and living down in Brighton, and he was playing for Brighton. Went to a couple down there, and he was phenomenally quick up front. And the goals that he would bang, he was supposed to be the next big thing, you know, coming through Brighton at the stage, but never really kind of went on with it, which is uh, a little bit disappointing as far as they go. But um. Yeah, I don't see him as a wing back. Oh, it was just it was just an interest it, it was just interesting. And again, we 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 go back to it again, what we've said. We we take we talk about the teams mm. that have a few new players, Devere and and Noon and 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 they're trying to find out their systems and it's gonna be these settled teams who have such a season of opportunity to be able to get points on the board early and really distance themselves. And MacArthur are very much in that middle of the table bracket with from the four or five other teams we've touched on already who are still trying to sort their their, their stuff out. Well, it's funny because when we did the Far Post prediction pod, um, Neil, he had um, MacArthur um, and it was also brought up about this elephant in the room around these rumours regarding vaccinations and some players don't want to be there and some players do want to be there and, and the likes and this is all, let's be honest, it's uh, all speculation and that's at the moment. I don't think anyone knows um, the, the truth um one hundred percent. But he said, if they can get it together, they're going to be phenomenal. But if there's one weak link in that chain, he could see them falling by the wayside and 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 finishing down towards the bottom half. So it is interesting that look the loss of Milligan, the loss of Federici. Um, they're the two big ones to go. But Ulysses Devere, what a player to bring in. And you wonder if you wonder if him and De Silva are going to be too similar. Yes. And Do we have a Gerard Lampard type scenario where they're just too, you know? And that's why I was so fascinated yeah. to see them almost playing as too narrow. Normally when you see a 3-4-3, three, three, mm. we see it with the, as we sort of saw with the glory, with the two wider players, you know, and and, and that sort of flank is to the centre forward. But they almost played as too narrow number 10s behind yeah. behind the striker. So that was that was something that was was really interesting, I thought. And And like you said, there's going, to, there's going to be that gelling period there. They may persist with it. They may mix it up. They may have just thought that that formation was the best system to use in that game against the opposition, as, as all good teams should do, really. You should also cater to the opposition when you set up. So, um, so yeah, look, I think I don't think there's too much we can read into that game going forward, given the conditions, but I think Wellington will be happy to, to get a point on the road for sure, even though they are- I thought they'd here. be spewing that they- They didn't win that, because yeah. there was a massive moment laid on with a two-on-one. Soterio? And the ball came in from Wayne, I think, to Soterio, and it just pulled up short. Yeah, and Soterio just had to bump it past the keeper, and that was yeah. that was two one, and that was you know pack her up, boys. So um, it was interesting. I thought, and it was interesting because I had Wellington finishing. I think they're going to struggle this year, Wellington. I don't think they've built enough on what they've had previously. One guy that really kind of. Intrigues me a little bit in terms of pushing on with his career is uh, Ren Episcopo mm. because I think if he does get to, and this is no offence to Wellington, but let's let's be purely honest about it. If he can get to a Melbourne victory, a Western Sydney Wanderers or a Sydney FC where they're more in the limelight, um, I think he goes to Europe because I think he's got that talent and that 
you know, th- those players around him will just bring him up to that next level a little bit, a little bit more. So it's interesting that he still wants to stay out there at Wellington or the fact that I'm not sure if anyone's even had a, had a, had a look at him, but um, at under 20, 23 level for Australia, he's, he's very, very good. So um, yeah, I just thought that's a little bit interesting. Tommy, let's have a bit of a look to next week and then we'll get into a few other things that are going on. Um, match day two, we will see, and we'll talk about this one a little bit more, but Western Sydney, they, oh, sorry, I'll start that again. Western United host a Perth Glory Friday night, Saturday, the afternoon fixture, Wellington, Phoenix, and Central Coast that is happening at Wollongong. Adelaide United host Melbourne City in Adelaide. Sydney FC will host, I guess, somewhat of a uh, local derby against MacArthur. Melbourne Victory will host Brisbane Raw and Western Sydney will play host to the Newcastle Jets. Um, we'll get to the Perth game in a sec, mate, but what are you picking as a bit of a, a, bit of a good uh, match of the round here? Oh, I, I think I think the most interesting game is the Wanderers and the Jets. Mm. I, th- I think that's that's high stakes game early. I, I, we spoke about Robinson already, and we spoke about the Wanderers and 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 the expectations, I suppose, um, and and the preseason murmurings around um, around Western Sydney. And they've come off the, the 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 derby against Sydney, obviously, with a fairly credible performance. But I thought the Jets were also credible against the Mariners, albeit. Mm. Albeit, um, I mean, the Mariners still finished third last season. They have they have obviously had a little bit of a makeover of sorts, few yep. new players, but they they still put in a pretty commendable performance. Um, but given the way that the Wanderers have been in, in recent times, I think Arthur Pappas will really look at that game and and really sort of fancy that as an opportunity to get a, to get actually a point on the board. And and from a Wanderers perspective, I think they have to, I think they just have to win that game. I, I think if if they drop points in that game, the pressure is going to be turned up big time. So I think if you're the Wanderers and you have four points after two games, you get a draw against your rivals and you beat the Jets, you're sort of on your way. That pressure eases mm. and alleviates. If they lose that game at home, um, are they at home or away? Sorry, I think they're uh, No, that is being played out at uh, Parramatta. They are at home. So, yeah, so if they lose that game at home in front of their fans against the, a, a Jets team who many expect to struggle, I think that the pressure's really going to ramp up. What are, what are you interested in aside from the oh, I think game the line? narrative that you've put in that one, I think that's made me a little bit more interested in actually because I didn't look at it like that. It was interesting because I think Newcastle last week is probably the definition of a, a commendable performance. If we, you know, we don't like using those words too much because it means you're just sitting on the fence a fair bit, but uh, it was a commendable performance considering where they're coming from. I thought that, yeah, he's definitely, uh, it's definitely a work in progress. And I think the Newcastle fans can be happy when they just see something going on, but uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that one. Uh, also, I think Sydney FC MacArthur is likely to be a interesting one. Brings me to the question. This one's being played at Jubilee Stadium. Brings me to the question. If anyone can let me know this on the socials or um, send me a DM, I'm wondering when um, Sydney Football Stadium's back up and running. Is that due this season or must be due the next? I haven't had a look. I'll have to have a look a bit into that because um, I'm not a big fan of watching football at Jubilee Stadium or at Lockhart. So um, I'll have a bit of a look to see uh, what comes of those. I don't think Sydney FC fans are. I think they can't wait to get into that new stadium. Ah, oh, as as you would be, you'd be excited mm. to get into any new stadium, mm. I suppose. But I mean, look, if it's if it's something where they if it's a place where they can get a good crowd and they can create that atmosphere, then then it's definitely going to be 
a better outcome playing at a, at a venue like that as opposed to playing it somewhere like without wanting to hop back to Western United at, at, at an AFL ground where it's um, where it's essentially wider out and and you've got less opportunity to create that sort of vibe and, and that energy. Mate, what are you expecting from Perth? And I guess we've got this uh, bit of an elephant in the room that uh, as this, we're recording this at about 6.30 on Tuesday evening, um, they're setting themselves up for a FFA Cup qualifier. Now, this isn't even a cup match. It's a qualifier for a cup match, which should have been played months ago. Um, and now we find ourselves with a 48-hour turnaround. We're hearing Andy Keogh won't make the trip. We're hearing uh, there's possibilities that others may not make the trip. We're hearing there'll be guys backing it up in 48 hours or less. W- what do we do? Do we absolutely just chuck the kids into the cup match, or do you do you try and win both, or where do you where do you sit on this one? Well, the reports are is that there is going to be a lot of heavy rotation, and that's understandable given mm. we are the, the players have come off a disjointed preseason. Obviously, it's been hard for them to get um, friendlies against other A League oppositions given the border restrictions. So that the players have only played um, to, they played against ECU Joondal up in, in the Danny Hodgson um, the benefit match, and then they also played against the WA State team. Um, and, and aside from that, um, they've 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 not played any other other friendlies uh, unless other than probably a closed door game or so among themselves I'm guessing so it is going to be tough um I think at this early stage of the season the, the, the cup very much takes a back seat I think that if the cup had been played it would have been much better for the glory had it been played in the preseason around the time when Adelaide United played their game because it would have just created that distance a little bit more with mm. getting that match fitness going yeah I think now though you've got to prioritize your, your away in my opinion, anyway, and um, prioritise your your trip on the road, your eight games. I think it's eight league games they've got coming up on the road. Um, there's no point exerting the players too much. There's a long stretch of games coming up, um, and you've got to manage the players and, and and put them in a position where they can perform on Friday for mine. Brandon O'Neill, uh, likely to play in Adelaide, unlikely to go to Melbourne due to the COVID border situation. Is that right? Possibly, yes. Yeah, okay. So that's going to be another spanner in the works. Um, Bruno captains the side, you'd think? I think so. It's it, for, for Adelaide, you mean? No, no, for for Western United on Friday night? Oh, for Western United on Friday night. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I think he'd, he'd be the most logical choice if, 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 O'Neill, if O'Neill doesn't make the trip, mm. as has been reported. But... Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be fascinating um, to to see how the glory whether they whether they uh, decide to persist with what seemed to get them a little bit of momentum back in that second half. Perhaps they'll they'll maybe introduce Steins in uh, from the start. Obviously, Andy Keogh came off with a knock on on. Um, on Saturday night. So it'll be interesting to see whether that perhaps pushes Fornaroli a little bit higher up the pitch in his place and whether we may see Daniel Steins into the team instead or, uh, again, we may see Daniel Steins on, on Wednesday night. Mm. We're just not 100% sure, Blaine. It's going to be such a mystery in terms of the way the team is and it's going to be quite hard to judge. I think until we actually see the team that comes out on the pitch on Wednesday night in that FFA Cup game with victory, I think it won't be until we've watched that game and seen that team out on the pitch that we'll know the identity really of the makeup of the squad for Friday night's game. Yeah, good point. Interesting one with this uh, at Amy Park. Interesting. So we're not playing out to Geelong. We're not going anywhere else. 
Amy Park. So good possibility. Um, we could see more Perth fans at this than Western United fans. Some good results at Amy Park over the years as well. Not Blaine. bad. Not bad. Not bad. No, I'd say that a bit tongue-in-cheek. I think there'll be more Western United fans, of course, but uh, not by too much. Not by too much, Tommy. Um, just a little bit, mate. The Matildas, and this is really interesting because I don't recall ever having the Matildas play on the same weekend that we've got A-League or W-League or any National League matches. So what's happening in that regard? So they've got their their two-game series with the USA. Obviously, they've just come off their two-game series with Brazil. Um, super exciting. Obviously, we've had two games against Brazil mm. and now two games against the US in, in the space of, what, a month? So yep. that that's amazing for, for local football fans, I suppose, in Sydney, who, who have had the opportunities to be able to get themselves um, out to those games. Um I think these are going to be important games for Tony Gustafson. Obviously, we're building up to the 2023 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, and that's the one that we're all focusing mm. on. But there's also an, an an Asian Cup in 2022 in India in January, and that's around two months away. So yep. these games are going to be super important in terms of the makeup of that team um, that Gustafson sort of wants to roll with um, going in, into that tournament. Obviously, Japan are probably going to be the favourites. Um, for that for that Asian Cup in 2022, so it'll just be interesting to see that that building block. There's obviously still that feel good factor from the Olympics and and the Brazil games where they won three one, and then I think it was a two all draw in the second game. So there's plenty of options players wise that uh, the Matildas do have um, for those games. Um, in terms of Team USA, obviously no Megan Rapinoe, no um, Alex Morgan either, but they've still got a strong squad, the likes of um, Rose Lavelle and with Lindsay Horan going there, very experienced player as well. Mm. So that one's at 3 p.m. on Saturday, and I believe that one is on free-to-air on Channel 10 um, before the A-League free-to-air game, if, if I'm not mistaken, and... I'm not sure if that's here in the West as well, but if it isn't, then I'm sure that it'll be on 10 Play or Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and an interesting one, and I'm going to try and hopefully this isn't too dated by the time I, I get this podcast up and uploaded, but um, Alex Grant playing in a uh, Asian Champions League final tonight. So hopefully if you hear this, I haven't given you too much of a reminder. If I have, go and uh, turn this off and go and grab the remote and go go watch Alex Grant hopefully win, a, win an uh, Asian Champions League because wouldn't that be fantastic, Tommy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think everybody here in the West is rooting for Alex tonight. We'll all be, we'll all be cheering that one on. I think that one is at... Midnight tonight, isn't it? Playing against uh, Al Halal with the likes of uh, Bafatimi Gomez Oof. playing up front, former uh, Marseille and, and Swansea and Saint Etienne player, among others. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff, uh, mate. We're going to be doing this just about hopefully every week. So um, it's been a good uh, little debut from you, Tommy. I think I'm proud of you, mate. Thanks, mate. Oh, yeah. I mean, big shoes to fill with uh, Sherwin and, and Geoffrey, but hopefully I've just put in a steady six out of ten performance and. Uh, I'm welcomed back. It's a game of two halves, but uh, give credit to the boys, Tommy. Give credit to the boys. Uh, we are going to be back next week. There is plenty happening. Um, there's plenty of good stuff happening as well. Uh, the website, not too far away. We're looking for people. If you want to contribute, you want to have your voice heard, you want to, I guess, throw down a few opinions on what's happening, particularly in football, uh, about football in WA, then uh, get hold of us on uh 
thefarpostperth at gmail.com or get hold of us through the various uh, social media outlets. And, uh, yeah, we're looking for contributors. So it's just a bit of a volunteer. It's a bit of fun. There's no commitment, no obligation, anything like that. Uh, and we'd love to love to hear from you in uh, various other forms as well. Keep up to date, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and Facebook, The Far Post Perth. You can get Tommy, simply Tommy Dolman. Is that about right on uh, yep. Twitter? Yeah, at Tommy Dolman. Yep, you can tell him how wrong he was with all his predictions and everything like that. And uh, you can do the same with me at a plain Treadgold is how you can find me. Big thanks for listening, and we'll catch you this time next Tuesday.